Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. What up, everybody? Happy Easter. He is risen. Okay, that was, we, can do, we can actually do better than that. I know we can. I know that some of you didn't know what to say, but I'm going to say he's risen. You're going to say he is risen indeed. All right, you ready? He is risen. Come on, people have been saying that for thousands of years. It's really good. Hey, um, seems like we're happy today. Feel the buzz? I like it. I like it a lot. Here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you out of the Gospel of Luke this morning. And this is a message we're going to call A Brand New Day. A Brand New Day. I'm going to read you two passages out of the Gospel of Luke. Both of them are from chapter 24. I was tempted to read the whole chapter, but I'm trying to keep it going. But this will be the text this morning. It goes like this. It's Luke 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would arise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and he ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again wondering what had happened. All right, now we're going to jump to the end of the chapter. In verse 35, it says this, Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly was standing there among them. Apparently he can do new tricks. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Why? Because ghosts don't eat. I mean, this is actually, this is a big deal. Like, it, 
Christians, we believe in a resurrected body of Christ. Verse 44, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness for sins for all who, who repent, and you are my witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Yeah, today's message is called A Brand New Day. And before we get into that, I want to tell you a story. Um, one of the things that all of my children love, and probably your children love it too, um, is this. Uh, every one of my kids loves it when I tell them the story of the day that they were born. Right? I don't know if many parents have noticed that, but all children love it when you tell them about the day that they were born. Um, and, and of my four, the one who loves it the most, right now anyway, is, is Rowan. Rowan really loves for me to tell him the story of the day he was born. And so I tell him, I'm like, well, on the day you were born, your mom was sitting on the front porch, and I was thinning the vines, and I was tucking the vineyard, and I was working. Um, and I was actually, I was out there, and I didn't have anything to listen to, and I was just, I was working down through the vines, and Rosie was with me, and I was getting a sunburn. And I knew it was close to time, and uh, it got to be late in the afternoon, and, and your mom called to me from the porch, and she said, hey, I think it's time. So I, I just dropped what I was doing. I ran back inside. I grabbed a quick shower, and, and we, went, we went to Glasgow. <laughs> Guys, this is number four. I'm not an idiot. I know how these things work. And so we, we drove to Glasgow, right? And then, and then, uh, then before we go to the hospital, I said, Heather, how are you feeling? She's like, you know, I mean, it's definitely it's happening, but I feel pretty good. I, and so we went to Garcia's, and I tell Rowan, I'm like, and we went to Garcia's, and he really loves that because it, it's mind-blowing that there's a Garcia's in Glasgow that's just like the one that's here or whatever. You know? I think it might even be better. I don't know. Anyway, so we went there, and we, we filled up on Mexican food because before you have a baby, you need, you need Mexican food. That's what you need. And, and then I tell him, well, and then we went to the hospital, and they checked us in. They gave us a room, and... Things were happening to your mom, and, but they didn't happen quickly. And in fact, I, I, I tell them that, you know, it took longer for you to arrive than any of the others. Uh, this is one of the things that surprised us about Ronan. All the other ones just kind of like popped out, you know, but, but, but not Rowan. Like, Rowan, you were, you were cozy, man. You were just so there. And so Heather and I were up all night long. We were up all night long. And, um, Heather was working so hard, and I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was like on the couch, and I was miserable, you know, and we were both just there. And then all of a sudden, sometime in the next day, when we were both about to pass out, all of a sudden, you showed up. You, you came out, and when you came out, you were, you were enormous. You were so big. We had no idea how big you were going to be. You were this big, fat baby, and you had all this white cheese on you. <laughs> You know, babies have that. And I like to tell them that that cheese, it came from Garcia's. 
that's what I like to tell him. It's a great story. And I, and I tell him, and I tell him, you came out and you were this big, fat, cheesy baby, and you were crying, and then and then I was crying. I was crying. Like I I lost it, man. I did it all four of my kids when they were born, and you just lose it. And that's the detail he likes the most because he's like, you were crying because I don't. I'm not really. I'm sort of a crier. Not really though. And he's like, you were crying. I'm like, yeah, I was crying. And, and he's like, why? I'm like, I was just so happy that you were here. And, and, and I said, me and you, we cried on the day that you were born. We cried together. And, and, then, and then I told him, and then the doctors held, handed you back to mom, and they put you on her chest, and uh, you instantly stopped crying. It was really, it's the weirdest thing. He was crying his brains out. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he touched Heather's chest, he stopped crying, and his little baby eyes opened up, and he got quiet. Got quiet as a mouse. He loves for me to tell him that story. It's so really cool. Um, one of the cool things about that story and about any baby that's born is that in that one moment when a baby is born, everything changes. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but like he had been alive before. He had been alive for nine months before. Um, but now he was alive in a brand new way. And, and here's the point I guess I'm trying to make. This was not another day. It was a brand new day. It was not another day. It was a brand new day. And this is the reality of all births. Uh, For babies and for their mamas and for their dads and brothers and sisters, you know, everything changes. The day before, we were a family that had three kids. And now we had four. And we would never have three again. We would always have four. It wasn't another day. It was a brand new day. And then also, suddenly, our house was too small. That was another thing that happened. Like we had built our house seven years before. We built our dream house on our dream property, the thing that we most wanted. And we built it for three kids. It was the, we built it for three kids, a mom, a dad, and a dog, right? That's what we built. And then all of a sudden, we had this surprise baby, and we brought him home, and the house didn't work anymore. You know, that's the way it goes. It wasn't another day. It was a brand new day. You know, the day before, Rowan was floating around in amniotic fluid. He was doing backflips. He was kicking Heather in the ribs. Uh, He was waking and sleeping, and he was eating and dreaming. And all of those things continued now, but they were different. And not only that, it could never be the same again. It was not another day. It was a new day. By the way, that's resurrection. That's resurrection. Uh, resurrection is not merely the continuation of days. Uh, resurrection is not picking up where we left off. Uh, resurrection is not a little sigh of relief because all the bad stuff is over. It's not regular life. Resurrection is not regular life. I, I, I don't know. I, I got to get this through to you at some point this morning. Resurrection is not more regular life. It's new life. It's not a menu item at a restaurant. It's not like you can go to the waiter and say, I'd like life with a side of resurrection. Um, Resurrection is not what we know. Resurrection is not what we've experienced. And it's not simply the renewal of everything that didn't work out in the past. By the way, this is one of the things that oftentimes gets preached at churches on Sundays like this, but it's not the right message. Resurrection is not the restoration of all my hopes and dreams that didn't work out in the past. That's way too small. It's not like, well, this one thing didn't work out and resurrection is simply, now it works, it's been resurrected. Nope, nope, way too small. It's barely something that we even have the capacity for. And by the way, it's all over our text. It's all over our text here in Luke and elsewhere. This is why 
all of the resurrection passages in the Bible are a hot mess. Uh, did you read any of the resurrection passages this week? I hope you did. If you didn't, go back and read them this week. And one of the things that you'll notice in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is you'll notice that at the resurrection, as if the Bible wasn't weird enough, it gets really weird and all the passages start to get fuzzy. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. Um, Everyone is scared at the resurrection, right? Uh, Not only that, but everyone is unbelieving at the resurrection, Uh, Everyone is hiding, everyone is disappointed, and everyone is bewildered. One of the things you need to look at in the resurrection passage is all the adjectives that are used, and none of them are church adjectives, but they're the best adjectives. They are scared, fear, unbelieving, doubting, hiding, freaking out. Those are the adjectives of the resurrection. It's amazing, and here's why it's amazing. It's amazing because the people who spent the most time with Jesus are the very ones who had the most trouble believing that he'd been raised for the dead when they met him. Isn't that unbelievable? The very people who spent three years with Jesus and the very people who heard him say, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to get up three days later, are the very ones who most didn't believe it when it happened. Why? Here's why. Because resurrection is not just another day. It's a brand new day. It's like being born again. It's like going to the school for the first time. It's like relearning everything. And here's why that is. It's because the future is breaking into the present and the old order is giving way to the new order. Resurrection is not the renewal of the old order. It is a new thing completely raised up. Uh, One way that we know that we're learning resurrection and that we're leaning into resurrection is when we feel ourselves struggling to recognize Jesus or even to believe Jesus. Maybe you grew up and maybe you met Jesus and maybe you walked with Jesus for a while and then all of a sudden you got a little bit older or maybe something happened or maybe something didn't happen but suddenly you find yourself in a place where you struggle to believe Jesus even though you grew up with him. Or maybe you're having a hard time recognizing Jesus when he's in your midst, even though you grew up with him. Here's one possible explanation for that. It is not, it is not just simply that you might be losing your faith. It might just be that the resurrection of the kingdom of heaven is beginning to take root in your life and it's disorienting. You know, one of the words that is being used a lot right now in the church is something called deconstruction. Yeah. And there's a reason for it. But let me say something about deconstruction. I think deconstruction is actually a misappropriation for what is actually going on. I think rather than deconstruction, what it really is is that the church is being baptized into resurrection. And what is emerging is fear, doubt, hiding, unbelief, And I don't get it anymore. I guess what I'm trying to get across here to you is, uh, that's good news. Mm, 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 mm. So here's what I want to do this morning from the scripture. I want to give us three signs of the new day. It's not another day, it's a new day. I want to give you three signs of the new day. Uh, The first sign of the new day is, Inclusivity. Inclusivity. Luke's gospel makes a big deal about who is around Jesus 
all the way through, but especially at the resurrection. And I hope you noticed when we began to read that passage in Luke 24, who are the first people that Luke records that are witnesses to the resurrection? The women. Notice that the passage begins with the women who went to the tomb. And in Luke's gospel, I hope you notice that it isn't just it isn't just a generic telling that some women went to the gospel, but I hope you notice that in Luke's gospel, the women were actually named. And here's what it means to be named in the scripture, or to be named anywhere. It means to be seen. So there was Mary Magdalene, and there was Joanna, and there was Mary the mother of James. Be Mary the mother of Jesus. They're all named. And so Luke's gospel begins this resurrection account with not just making mention of women in general, but three very specific women. And in fact, Joanna's name is only mentioned here. She's a woman of the resurrection. It's amazing. See, why is this a big deal? Well, here's why it's a big deal. Because in the old order, women were not seen. In the old order, women make babies and shut up. But in the new day, in the new day, women are center stage. And they're the ones who carry the resurrection message to the apostles. This is what Jürgen Moltmann says. And by the way, why don't we say this? Wait just a second. Everyone say this with me. Jürgen Moltmann. Jürgen Moltmann. Listen, you want to do yourself a favor? Read this guy's theological works, okay? Is it heavy? Yeah. Is it accessible? Yes. Is it worth the time? You better believe it. Read it. The crucified God. Change your life. Might take you all summer to get through it. It will change your life. Look what Jürgen Moltmann says. He says, without women preachers, we would have no knowledge of the resurrection. See, that's a sign of the new day. It was, it was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of James and Jesus, who first preached the good news to the men who would preach the good news. In the old order, women are not seen. In the new day, Women are center stage. And then, on the road to Emmaus, this is the passage that we didn't read from Luke 24 this morning, but I'll tell you. On the road to Emmaus, the story picks up with two guys, and they're just ancillary disciples. And I think this is one of the reasons it's so wonderful. They're not named. They're ancillary disciples. They were a part of that larger group who followed Jesus around, but we don't really know much about them. And they're leaving Jerusalem, and the reason they're leaving Jerusalem is because they're totally disappointed. They're dejected disciples. Uh, they think this Jesus thing has come to nothing, and so they're taking the long walk home. And when they are on their long walk home, Jesus does that, uh, that new trick he has now where he appears and disappears. He appears with them, and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And here's what's interesting. Uh, they don't recognize that it's him. Uh, again, why do they not recognize it's him? It's not another day. It's a new day. Uh, no one who meets the resurrected Jesus immediately recognizes that it's him. It's amazing. He has to say things like, hey, look at my hands. It's an amazing thing. Okay, and so they're telling him, hey, we thought there was this guy. We thought he was going to be the guy, but it turns out he's not the guy. And he says, well, why do you think that? And uh, they tell him, well, he got killed and he's dead. And he says, well, you know from the scriptures he had to die and that he wasn't just going to be dead, but he was going to come back to life, right? And they were like, no, we hadn't heard that. And he walks through the scriptures with them. And then they say, well, why don't you come and have dinner with us? And he says, you know, I'll go with you. And so he goes into their house. And what's funny is they invited him. But then all of a sudden when Jesus is at the table, he takes over. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord of every table, right? 
And he breaks the bread. And as soon as he breaks the bread, uh, these two guys from Emmaus recognize him. You know? It's amazing. Like, you, you want to make space for Jesus? You might just need to have people over to your dinner table. You know, it's like, it's really simple like that. And so in the breaking of bread, it's like this communion thing. And bodies broken, the person who had his body broken breaks the bread. And all of a sudden, everybody realizes who it is. And why am I telling you that story? Because these were not center stage disciples. They were like the ancillary disciples. Uh, in the old order, in the old order, if you were not on the team, uh, if you were not varsity, uh, you didn't matter. But in the new order, JV matters, right? That's the way this thing works. So uh, it's, a, it's a new day. And then, then we have the apostles, that, that final passage that we read this morning. And these are the unbelieving, fearful apostles. Uh, they are hiding out. Um, John's gospel tells us that the door is locked. The door is locked. And by the way, that's a perfect metaphor for what fear does for you. It isolates and it locks you. And right in that place where they're locked, all of a sudden, the resurrected Jesus appears. And he says, peace. Right? In the old order, when you lose heart, you're disqualified. In the old order, when you stop believing, you're disqualified. In the old order, if you have any doubts, you're disqualified. But in the new day, you're still on his team. And then I hope you notice, why don't we put that last passage up. I hope you notice that the message that Jesus gives the apostles in verse 7, in verse 47 rather, he says, this message, meaning about me, will be proclaimed to all nations. To all nations. Again, it's the idea of inclusivity, meaning not just Israel, not just the one club, not just the one tribe, the one family. See, the old order is tribal, it's closed, it's exclusive. This is exactly the stuff that we were reading about in Galatians in the last few weeks. Paul says, no law keeping makes any difference at all. Why? Because law-keeping was just this tribal thing for one little group of people. But what God is doing now is for everyone. And there's no law-keeping that's going to make you right with Jesus. There's no law-keeping that's going to make you right with God. No law-keeping. No observance of festivals. You can do Jewish festivals till you are blue in the face and it makes no difference. It is meaningless. In the old order, it meant a lot. In the new day, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. That is not the way this thing goes. No circumcision, no keeping of festivals gives you any favor with God whatsoever because God is opening all the doors that used to be shut. This is not a tribal reality anymore. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for uh, white educated Americans. It's not just for the people who are like us. It's for the people who are radically different from us. The gospel is not for a few. It's for all nations. See, God's opening the doors. And not only is he opening the doors, but he's inviting everyone. And here's what I want you to know this morning. If you're here in this room and you can hear me, there's room for you. There's room for you. The new day is inclusive. Number two, the new day is experiential. This is really great, by the way. The two women who meet the angels at the empty tomb... They didn't simply go in and see that there was no body there. Luke tells us, and so do several of the other, of the other gospel writers, that they met angels. 
And in and, and Luke's gospel, they tell us that they met two angels. And, and why does two angels matter? Uh, why? Well, here's why. Because in the Bible, two is the number of witness. So, like, if, if one person told you something, you didn't necessarily have to believe it. But if two to- people told you something, you might want to believe it, right? So it's as though God is saying, I'm going to witness to myself that you have to know this is true. You know? You can't make it. Maybe you could make up one angel, but you couldn't make up two. And so... And so they have this experience. It's profoundly experiential. It's not just, it's not just like something happened and I'm not exactly for sure what it was, but it's, it's as though heaven begins to come to earth with, with angelic encounters. And these women get a story that's based upon this experience. Then the next story in the, in the Gospel of Luke is the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And they have, they have a physical encounter with the resurrected Lord. And not only that, but, but they, they eat dinner with him. You know, again, it's like experiential. And, um, and this Jesus, he, he comes to the disciples in their hideout, and he can just appear and, new, and, and then disappear. And, and this is important because uh, resurrection is not merely an idea. idea. Uh, the new day is not simply a theological reality from the shoulders up. It's got to be experienced. So all the way through these resurrection stories, there are these ideas of encounter, like people experience something. It's not just they, they learned something here, they actually experienced something. See, in the kingdom of heaven, it's not just theological ideas that are known from the shoulders up, it's, it's a whole life experience. In God's kingdom, it's experience that means everything. Can we put up verses 7 and 8 again? This is really important. I just want to show you how much experience means to getting some sort of grasp of the kingdom of heaven look at what he says the angels tell the women remember what he told you back in galilee that the son of man must be traded into the hands of sinful men and be crucified stop that's a reference to luke chapter 9 and if you go back in luke chapter 9 what you get is jesus plainly tells all of his disciples here's what's going to happen they're going to kill me and i'm going to get back up in three days and guess what no one believed him. They did, not only did they not believe him, they didn't even understand what he was saying. And by the way, they would have good reason not to understand what he was saying because at this point in his ministry, Jesus is taking, kicking butt and taking names. Like he's healing every disease, driving out every devil, and crowds are coming to him. And they're like, this isn't going to happen, right? Why am I showing you this? It isn't until these women have an experience with angelic encounter and seeing an empty tomb that what he told them in Luke 9 makes any sense at all. The kingdom of heaven is experiential. Uh, you can never really change someone by just teaching them. It'll, people will never ever be changed simply by teaching. The gospel is an encounter that we can actually have. Uh, here's the other thing I want you to know. People will never really be changed even by the sermons I give. The sermons only, hopefully, provide for us a container where we can encounter God. To the extent that they don't, they're worthless. You cannot just teach people. Um, Not only that, here's what's super interesting. We could frame it like this. Uh, Teaching is never enough, not even when Jesus is the teacher. By the way, see, Jesus is the one who told them that this stuff was going to happen to him in Luke chapter 9, and no one got it. It wasn't until they experienced the resurrected Jesus, and it wasn't until they experienced the word from, from heaven via the angels that anyone got any of this. Teaching is not enough, even when Jesus is 
the teacher. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know. Check it out. <clears throat> it was only after the resurrection that Jesus' own words had the context that produced faith. And the two on the road to Emmaus, they experienced Jesus' teaching. They experienced Jesus at dinner in the places of broken bread. That's when the lights came on. And the disciples had to see his hands and feet. At the end of this passage, Jesus says, why don't you touch my hands? Why don't you touch my feet? And we know that from John's gospel uh, that uh, Thomas actually puts his hand, puts his finger in Jesus' side. Yeah, why? Because until you touch the risen Lord, like the teaching is ancillary. I think that's my word for this morning, ancillary. I haven't said ancillary in 10 years, and I've said it 10 times already this morning. Why am I making this a big deal? Here's why I'm making it a big deal. Because in the old order, teaching was enough. In the old order, teaching is enough. But the new order is offering us more. The new order offers visitation from heaven. Bread broken at dinner. The appearance of Jesus in our homes. And I hope you notice that all of this is brackish waters. Here's what I mean by that. It's brackish waters in the, in the sense that heaven is breaking in, but it's also regular life. It's, it's the mixture of two. It's like, it's like fresh water that hits the ocean. It's not just one or the other. And if we're going to make it as disciples for the long haul, we have to learn to experience God in both. See, here's the thing. If you need an angel, if you need an angel to begin to believe God, you'll miss most of what God is doing. That's what this passage is showing us. However, if you can't see the angel, and if you won't believe the angel if he comes... You just might miss the resurrected Son of God. It's both. The new day is an experience. The old order is just believe and just obey the words. The new day is come into my presence. <coughs> finally, finally, the new day is viral. Read for that shareable. In fact, the best way, I think, to understand Luke chapter 24 is through the idea of sharing. I'll give you just a quick rundown. Here's everything that we've read this morning in Luke chapter 24. Angels share the good news to the women. The women share the good news who tell the apostles who don't believe. Jesus shares the good news from the scriptures to the two dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus. Those disciples share a meal with Jesus. Jesus shares the good news with the apostles who were locked in their homes afraid. The apostles share broiled fish with Jesus. And then Jesus gives the apostles the command to share all of this with the world. See, the old order is hoarding. The old order is tribal. And the old order keep secrets. The old order will share a little bit, but it holds back. The old order will share, but it'll make you pay. It'll charge you a fee. But the new day, well, the new day, it spreads the good news like a virus at daycare. <laughs> See, it's resurrection. It's really, really resurrection if you're sharing it. And if you're not sharing it, 
perhaps you haven't been infected. And by the way, when I say that, there's not one ounce of guilt in there. It's just a good barometer. If it's resurrection, you'll share it. And if you haven't shared it, well, maybe you haven't been infected. And if you've been in church for years and you know the story, but you haven't shared it, well, ask for it. Or maybe, maybe you should just let a Christian cough on you. I mean, pray for you. See, this thing works with every kind of person wherever we go. And, and here's what I mean by sharing. Uh, you don't have to be eloquent. Uh, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be with it. You don't have to be hip. You don't have to be anything. You can be stupid. You can be ignorant. You can be unwith it. You can be unsuccessful. You can be uh, the sort of person who ruins every single situation. You know? You can be that person. You can be socially awkward. Uh, you, can make feel, you can make people feel uncomfortable. You can do that. And you can still share the good news of Jesus Christ, because resurrection is infectious. It, it has a way of going. Uh, you don't have to be any kind of thing in order to share it. You know, like little babies, they, they just share, they share the flu with one another, and they're just, it's just, it just happens, right? Just, you know, our nursery, it's just infected with the flu. It is, like we clean it, but you know what? That stuff just keeps going. The kingdom of heaven is a virus. The kingdom of heaven is a virus, and every worldly kingdom seeks to Clorox it out. And you cannot Clorox it out. It grows back more resilient, more virulent, more it mutates. The kingdom of heaven, it just spreads. It spreads like a norovirus. You just you Clorox it, you take your antibiotic, and it comes back and it eats your antibiotic for lunch, you know? <laughs> this is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means to be resurrection people. And it works everywhere. You know, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And here's our message. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. It's not another day. It's a new day. And by the way, he ain't mad. This is, this is part of the reason it's, in, it's a virus. Uh, God has been raised from the dead. Uh, we killed him. And he came back and he spoke kindness to us. He's not even mad. Like the very person who could hold the world account has come back and said, I'm going to let you off the hook. This is supremely good news. And everybody's in. Everyone is already in. Like this is the good news. You don't have to jump through a hoop to be in. Let me just tell you some good news for a moment. I'm going to preach the good news to you just for a second. Do I have permission? Yeah. All right, let me preach to you just for a second. The whole world stands forgiven already. Already, everybody's already forgiven. Think of all the terrible people, right? Think about your neighbor you don't like. Think about the person who blows their grass on your property. Think about, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that came. But think about, my neighbor doesn't do that. We, li we have fields between us. But, but think about the worst people. Think about, think about whole people groups that we have judgments towards, you know? Think about all the people that Americans like to scapegoat, you know? Oh, you know, the Taliban. Oh, those are the really bad guys. Oh, you know, everyone who lives in one of the stand countries, Pakistan, Afghanistan, those are the ones who, who don't have it. And let me tell you something. They're already forgiven and they're already in. And here's the good news. All they need is someone to tell them. All they need is someone to just share the virus so that they could wake up and, and come on into the reality in which they already stand. 
You don't have to do anything to get in. You're already in by Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, He reconciled the world to himself. Come on with that. The whole world. Everybody is already in. And every religious twitch that says you have to do something to get in, that you have to keep a festival, that you have to keep a certain day holy, that you have to recite a certain kind of prayer in order to be in, is hogwash. You don't have to do it. The sinner's prayer doesn't save you. A festival doesn't save you. A right belief doesn't save you. Uh, A holy day doesn't save you. You can mow your grass on Sunday. You're still in. You can, you can, you could build a barn on Sunday. You'll still be in because none of that stuff means anything because Jesus has already done it. Everybody's in. And when we wake up that, if you really wake up to it, that's a brand new day and you'd share it because it's a virus. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. That's really the good news. And if you've been converted to anything else, well, why don't you just unconvert from that right now and get into the gospel? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all thought that you had to be dunked and get the prayer right and then like live a certain way just perfectly in order to be in. I'm telling you, you do not have to be. You'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to do it. Jesus has done it. And this is the thing that spread the gospel like wildfire. This is the thing. And just in our Luke passage, I just want to go back to this because this is amazing news. The end of this Luke passage in 24... Jesus shows up to the disciples. These are all the guys who deserted him. Like when he needed them most, his homeboys, these are the guys who deserted him. And if you or I had been raised from the dead, let's let's just say that our best friends deserted us, and you and I got raised from the dead, we would come back like the Terminator. We, I'm back. And we would mow them down, you know? It would be violent retribution. But when Jesus comes back, he finds the very guys who sold him out and deserted him and left him, even though they promised that they wouldn't leave him. He finds those guys, and the first words out of his mouth to those guys is, peace to you. That is compelling. That is really compelling. God is not angry. His word to the world is peace. His word to the world is peace. And the very people who sell him out, he will take them onto their team. He will take them onto their team. This is good news. Give up on every other idea. Give up on every other idea. It will be a master to you that will grind the resurrection life out of your bones. Give up. Come on in. Breathe in this virus. Let it go deep. We should ask the Holy Spirit to cough on us. You know, we should ask the Holy Spirit to cough on us. We should ask for that, for that thing that, that can only come by resurrection to begin to show up now. Would that be all right? Mm. Hey, if you're on the band this morning, come on up. We don't regularly do this, but we're going we're gonna to play some music at the end. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to receive communion as a group. This is going to be ministry this morning. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.